0: Hi. Hello, friends. It's like we're friends now. We've been sitting, walking together, eating together. Mm. Yeah. All humans on this path. Mm. All in this together. So the topic for tonight's talk is um, one of the lists, as you know, the Buddha was very fond of lists, as uh, Philip talked about it last night, it's one of the lists in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. And uh, last night, Philip had the delight of talking about the hindrances while being hindered, by the light. So tonight I have the delight of talking about the uh the seven factors of awakening, which are the beautiful qualities, which is the beautiful qualities of the heart and mind. Um so we're changing the channel tonight from hindrances to uh to the seven beautiful factors of awakening. So what I like to do is to talk about the factors in general at first and then talk about each factor a little bit and try to give some practical pointers for practice while we're here together. So the seven factors of awakening Mpali bojangas. They're known as the bojangas. I kind of like that name. I have to say, I like to say it to myself. Bojangas. It just, just hearing the word delights my heart. <laughs> it's just, it's just a happy, beautiful, delightful word. And we haven't even got to the practices yet. We're just beginning with the sound of it. The bojangas. Um, so, they um, they show up in um, in the Satipatthana Sutta in the Majjima Nikaya and they also show show up in the two Chinese um, agamas which are the parallels um, and it's the only dhammas that actually show up in all three translations in the Majjima Nikaya five different dhammas show up and in the two other Chinese agamas two different ones show up but in every single one the seven factors of awakening show up so as the, the, the sutta went through different countries and different translations, and, and sometimes in oral, because it was an oral tradition, things get changed and, and inserted. But one thing that everybody remembered was the seven factors. So, um, so they're important. So there are a couple of ways to hold the understanding of the seven factors of the Bhujangas. In the Samyutta Nikaya, in the Bhikkhu Sutta uh, 46.5, for those of you who like references, um, the Bhujangas are referred to as wholesome mundane factors that lead to en- enlightenment. So mundane, what mundane means in this case is they're ordinary factors, they're everyday factors, they're things that you develop um, in regular states of mind that lead to awakening a different way they're hold in the Abhidhamma, um, in the higher teachings and in the Pali commentaries that came later after the suttas, that the bhajangas tend to refer um, to supramundane factors that are concurrent with enlightenment. So, supramundane in this case means uh, these um, factors that while um, the state of awakening is coming up and then and the mind is in in this high uh, unsurpassed state these factors of awakening are concurrent um, with with that state so I like to think of of the the seven factors not as either or but but both ways. Um, We can develop and strengthen them um, and nourish them in formal practice and also in in informal daily life practice Um, and trust that when they are developed and they are balanced um, and they're really fully vibrant, then they will be concurrent with, with freedom, with awakening in that moment. So what are the seven? Without further ado, the seven are, maybe I should do them backwards, just kidding, like the top 10 lists, you know, they do them backwards, but, but there's a reason why they, I, I will explain why the order is such as it is. So we'll start from the beginning. First one is mindfulness, sati, to recognize the Dhamma phenomena um, or reality, which is two ways to translate dhamma. So sati, mindfulness, which is what we engage in here. The second one is investigation, in Pali, dhamma-vicaya, of dhammas. The third one is energy, or virya, also translated as determination, persistence, and effort. The fourth one is joy, or rapture. In Pali, it's piti, piti. The fifth one, calm, relaxation, or often translated as tranquility. And it's uh, in Pali, pasadi, pasadi, tranquility of both body and mind. The sixth one, samadhi, often translated as concentration, um, or unification of the mind, calm, one-pointed state of concentrated mind. And the last one, equanimity, upekka to be fully aware of phenomena without, even, without either going towards or away from it, but a state of equipoise. So, so these seven, which I will talk about more in detail about every single one, um, they're not so esoteric, they really aren't. We have all experienced them in our daily life in different ways. Um, they are familiar to us. so And they all support one another. There is a reason why the list is, is organized the way it is. In fact, the first one being mindfulness. Mindfulness um, supports the, f- the flowing, the arising of all the other ones. In fact, mindfulness, or sati, is really the foundation for all the other six. So, when one is mindfully aware of phenomena, really being mindful, very clearly seeing, clearly knowing, that's when a sense of curiosity can come up. Oh, oh, what is this? That's Dhamma-vichaya, that's curiosity. And then, when we have sustained curiosity, sustained investigation with phenomena, that gives rise, that sustaining of, oh, what is Oh, investigate. Hmm. Interesting. That, when you sustain that, that, that engagement, that engagement of curiosity and mindfulness applied, that brings, that brings up virya, that brings up energy. That brings up, oh, that's interesting. Have you noticed when you're when you have interest and curiosity about something? Oh, then you can stay up. You can, you know, there is more energy. You can stay up all night and do your favorite hobby, right? It just more energy arises when there is when there's an, that engagement. And then when there is continued virya, continued energy, this continued engagement, um, that then. The sub subject, the object of contemplation, starts to become clearer and clearer, and that gives rise rise to joy or pity or rapture. Just these naturally then start to arise, and when that that sense of joy, delight, that when that starts to even out, that evening out of this rapturous joy of engagement, kind of gives gives away to gives way to. Uh, tranquility, pasadi. Ah, there's a sense of calm, tranquility in the body and mind. And that, then, that calmness, when the mind gets into that calmness of tranquility, and the mind easily stays with the meditation object, that gives rise to concentration. The mind gets very stable, very, very stable, very even. And that evenness of the mind, that concentration, that unification of the mind, that stability, when the mind is really stable, then that naturally gives rise to equanimity. That is, the mind neither moves towards nor away from the object, it's just complete equipoise. So you see, the, it, it's it's like water flowing down the mountain, as Gil used this beautiful metaphor a few nights ago. It's natural. You set, you establish mindfulness. You establish mindfulness. And you engage, there is some investigation and energy, so putting really the especially the first one, the first factor, mindfulness in place, and the other two inviting them in, inviting investigation, curiosity, inviting energy, um, and then the four the the other four really fall out. you can't you can't do the other four you they kind of they unfold on their own one um, little ditty I came up with, you put in place the first three, the other four you get for free. So, <laughs> so that's kind of experientially how it happens. You you p- put in place the first three, especially mindfulness, because that mindfulness alone helps place the other two. And then, whew, joy arises on its own, and then It just continues from there in a beautiful way unfolding. (coughs) So, (coughs) the practice of the seven factors, (coughs) also to remind you, it does tie in with practicing with the hindrances. As this morning, Philip was guiding us (coughs) in the morning guided meditation um, as you notice when you bring the mind and try to notice not just the presence of hindrances which is what we tend to do right we only notice when we're sleepy or we have doubt or you know we want something or angry and ill will but when you actually check and say okay is there any anger present right now no there's no ill will Ah." That leads to joy, and in fact, this is one way that uh, Bhikkhu Analyo teaches the seven factors and ties them uh, with practicing the the five hindrances to notice the the absence. The going through the list of the five hindrances, notice the absence, and that arises joy because you're bringing mindfulness, you're bringing mindfulness, curiosity, energy, and investigating the absence of a hindrance. It's not there. Ah, that gives rise to joy. So so that's one way you can practice with both of these. Also, another thing to consider about um, these seven factors is that um, the, the three of the factors, investigation, energy, and joy are considered to be energetic factors. They're kind of bubbly, energetic. Um, versus the three other factors, which are the calming factors, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And in the middle, there is mindfulness. So you can imagine the seesaw. There is the, the uppers and the downers. <laughs> there <laughs> They're, they're the, um, the energetic factors that really bring up energy and the ones that make you calm. And really, mindfulness is what helps you balance them and realize, wait, am I, am I too tranquil? Am I too calm? Is it actually my mind getting almost foggy and dull because there's just way too much tranquility and, and equanimity? <laughs> And it can happen, actually. On I, I, a few retreats ago, um, it, I, I had an experience which was new for me, and that was um, my mind. Was, I, I was kind of... It, it felt like I was sleepy, but I wasn't quite sleepy. But I just it was kind of like, oh, I'm sleepy. And then I realized whoa, there's too much tranquility here. This is what it feels like when there's too much tranquility. It's not like sleepiness, but it's just kind of the body's relaxed, the mind is a little too relaxed. And that was the time for me to bring up the, the energetic factors, to bring in a little more energy by breathing, by walking, by bringing in more curiosity, investigation to balance the factors. And in fact, many times in the practice discussions, when you come in and, and we have a conversation about your practice, one thing that, that we watch for is are, are these balance, uh, are these factors balanced? Is there too much, too much uh, um, the, the, the uppers basically? there's too much perhaps you know need to calm down, you know, a little more tranquility or is there too much sloth and turf? So, so balancing these factors is really a part of practice that, that we're engaging in, um, in, in in our practice. Together, it's in in a very regular, everyday fashion. And you can never have too much mindfulness. You can have too much of the energetic factors, or too much of the calming factors, but you can never have enough mindfulness. And the, the Buddha talks about that in uh, the Fire Discourse. So... So, in the Satipatthana Sutta um, there are two stages of contemplation for the Awakening Factors. The the first stage is basically whether they're present or absent. And from the Sutta, I'll, I'll read a part of it. Oh, actually, so the first step is whether or not they're present or absent. And the second stage is if they're present, knowing the conditions that led, uh, that lead to further development and perfection, and if they're absent, knowing what conditions uh, lead to their arising. So that's a way. That's really a prescription um, that the Buddha is giving us for practicing with these. Is it here? Is it not here? Is it present? Is it absent? Oh, okay, so. If it's present, if mindfulness present, okay. What are the factors that lead to its further development? And if it's not here, how? What are the factors? And kind of understand, basically understanding your own mind, how it works, right? How how to help it get uh, uh, stronger, continue to develop, and um, how to to make it arise. So that that investigation, and also to say that. The, the contemplation of the seven factors could be developed with any primary object, so they could be developed with the breath with the three characteristics with with the body meditation with many 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 objects and and uh, um, hopefully we'll have time for me to 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 uh, discuss that also because now there are seven factors to try to do some justice to so okay. So, starting with mindfulness. So, with mindfulness, um, sati. I want to share a couple of um, similes with you about mindfulness, about this this faculty of of seeing, of clear seeing, which is a mental quality that really enables wisdom to arise. So there are many similes that the Buddha uses um, to, uh, to really give us a felt sense. There's nothing like a good simile to give you a felt sense to, to understand um, what something is about. Um, and similes are, are um, not as lost in translation, I think, as, as words can be because they have to do with our human experience. Anyway, so there are a lot of them, and I'd like to just share a couple of them, which show um, two different ways that mindfulness is is held. One is um, the Buddha likens mindfulness to, um, um, actually, it's, it, 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 it's a simile, uh, it's in the uh, Dva, let's see if I can say this right, Veda vitaka Sutta, where the Buddha describes a cowherder, who had to watch very closely over uh, uh, his cows uh, to prevent them from straying into the fields before the crops were ripe. And then re- when the crops were ripe, um, then and the harvest happens, then the cow herder can just sit under a tree and not really stress over the cows going over the crops and really completely uh, mangling the crops. He can, can just kind of chill out and watch the cows from, from afar. So, so the idea of sati here is a sense of calm and detached observation, which is calm and kind of spacious. It's not worried. It's, it's, it's not, oh, the cows are going to go and mangle. It's like, oh, the harvest is done. There's no, you know, there's no mangling that can happen of the harvest. But just watching the cows in a very calm, spacious manner. And that's something that we've been bringing in to the instructions in the morning when we ask you to, to relax, to have a spacious uh, way of, of being aware and engaging with mindfulness. So that's one way. So keep that in mind. And maybe some morning when you're sitting, imagine you're a cow herder, So you're kind of watching the cows, but you don't have to really watch every single one. You're kind of like, ah, in a spacious way, you're watching the field with a wide gaze. So give that a shot check check that out. Another simile that I want to share with you is uh, the surgeon's probe. So in that simile, sati is uh, compared to a probe of a surgeon um, and the way in which a surgeon's probe, whose function is to provide information about the wound and subsequent for subsequent treatment. Uh, the same way sati as a probe can be used to carefully gather information uh, and and prepare the ground for subsequent actions prepare the ground for wisdom really so in this simile it's kind of like hmm it's more engaged it's touching it's probing right it's not so much ah out there so so it's more probing it's examining it's kind of touching the experience so Again it's not either or there are times when mindfulness can be touching the experience and there are times that it could be more spacious and and um and awareness and um you can experiment how how it, how the sati can show up in a different way um, in different times The other thing I want to share with you about sati mindfulness is um is from, um, from Abhidhamma, um, from the Visuddhimagga, actually, the higher teachings. And in the Visuddhimagga, which is this um, large, some thousand pages of instructions, of practical instructions, of commentaries accumulated. Um, there's a lot of detail that doesn't show up uh, in, in the suttas and this detail I want to share with you is actually a list of for every factor, for every um, factor of mind, um, there is characteristic, function, manifestation and pro- proximate ca- cause. So, so for mindfulness sati, the characteristic of mindfulness is not wobbling not floating away from the object, they say. So it kind of stays with the object. It's, it doesn't go away, it kind of stays with the object. The function of sati is the absence of confusion or non-forgetfulness, because sati literally means not forgetting, not remembering, not forgetting. So absence of confusion or non-forgetfulness of the object. How Mindfulness manifests, so the manifestation of it is as the guardianship of mind and object. So it's really guarding the mind and object. Um, Or it's a state of mind confronting an object. This is how it manifests. This is how it shows up. It shows up as a state of mind that's really, oh, it's like being with the object. Oh, confronting the object. And the last, and perhaps most importantly, um, its proximate cause, which is what is most proximately gives rise to mindfulness, is strong or firm perception. So, or or the four foundations of mindfulness, which we're practicing. Strong or firm perception. So strong perception in, in Pali is tira sanya. Sanya is perception. When you really grok something, when you recognize, oh, this is that, your mind recognizes, right? And strong perception is, re- is, is just this clear. So the my favorite translation of tira Sanya is fully grokking, like right? fully getting, like what this, oh, this is that, this is this, this is, oh, this is suffering, this is tightness, this is, this is joy, this whatever it is, oh, this is, um, sensation, this sensation is warmth, it's coolness, like really clearly grocking. That really, in the next moment, mindfulness can be um, stronger, can, can be pretty strong. So, in one mind moment, clearly seeing, clearly uh, perceiving, and in the next mind moment, sanya can be quite strengthened. So moving on to the second factor of investigation, Dhamma-Vichaya. So this factor of investigation, I have to say, I love all the factors. They're all beautiful. This one is particularly close to my heart. It's dear to my heart. because, um, So I've had a career as a research scientist, and investigation, curiosity, uh, questioning, asking question questions has been Big part of my life. It's been a big part of of my um, who I am. I think that's that's why um, I became a scientist. So, what is investigation? What is is It's been variously translated um, as discrimination of dhammas, truth discerning wisdom, investigation of states self-correcting intelligence, but perhaps we can just relate to it as curiosity, questioning. Now, what's really important, and I want to make this very, very clear, if there's one thing you remember about investigation, is that it's, in this case, it's not an intellectual investigation. It's not heady. It's not a heady endeavor. Um, It's not conducted from the control tower. But it's it's an it's a curiosity that is felt, um, it's felt and is sensed to sensed into with your whole heart and your whole body. It's close. It's intimate. uh, Exploring. It's really feeling into this um, into the object with your whole body, heart, mind, feeling into it, not from the control tower. And I would say there are two main ways, I would say, to investigate. Um, One is um, an undirected investigation, perhaps, to investigate whatever is arising in the moment. And one other way is a more directed investigation. For example, as we talked about, um, Gil talked about uh, the feeling tone, about Vedana. Like, hmm, having curiosity about Vedana. Oh, Vedana, Vedana. you kind of like, it's in the back of your mind. you kind of, you know, kind of curious about that factor to see if that shows up in your experience, right? So that's more directed. A more indirected way is you have curiosity about whatever is here, whatever is showing up. So you can do this, the indirect um, uh, investigation, both in part of your formal meditation, you can do it both informally in daily life. And with this, you can drop in the question, basically, what is this? What is this? And you can ask for a response to arise. And... And again, not so much peering into, like thinking about your head, but you're dropping in the question, dropping really in the question and waiting for an answer. What is this? And some answers come up. You know, this is hunger, this is crankiness, this is peace, whatever might be, whatever guest might be visiting, you welcome, you acknowledge. And maybe you drop the question in again and again what is this what is this just sense of curiosity and let yourself be surprised let yourself have a don't know mind of not necessarily knowing what it is but just be completely open to whatever it might be more visiting guests acknowledge them you can drop the question again and again and note that dropping the question too many times too quickly neuro can Bring up agitation. Remember, we talked about the uppers and downers. So it can bring up too much agitation if you have too much investigation um, too quickly. So just be be very gentle with the investigation. Sometimes the mind could be very quiet. So what is this can be too heavy handed, especially in meditation. So you can experiment by simply dropping what, what question mark, what. what? or just simply dropping in a question mark? Hmm. Just simple curiosity. Living the question. Rilke says, Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and and to try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually without noticing it live long, live along some distant day into the answers. So live the questions themselves. Live and love the questions, this investigation. Dhamma vichaya, love the questions themselves. So with directed investigation, you could be investigating the Four Noble Truths. When there is suffering, where is suffering? Where am I caught? How am I caught? When there is tightness, when there is When there is this tightness and mm, when there is a rub in your heart, in your body, what's happening? Where where am I caught? I asked this question some time ago with this investigation as I was sitting on a dentist chair and I realized I was quite miserable. I was really miserable. And, um, And I was really tight. So I asked, okay, what's what's going on my body's really tight it's what's what's going on and I realized I was expecting I was waiting I was I was bracing myself for the next moment to be really really painful and oh wow when I saw that 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 was the expectation of the mind that's where I was caught I was caught in that expectation which I couldn't see I was like okay let's go I'll, I'll deal with it if it comes up. With that letting go, was so relaxing. And that pain I was dreading never came. It never came. And in fact, it became quite pleasant to, to just rest in the dentist chair. I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't have anything to do. There was no pain. My mouth was open. That was fine. I couldn't feel anything. It was fine. But that question where am I caught? Where am I caught? Where am I caught? That that question, dropping in the question, can turn things around. Similarly, when there is when there is tanha, when there is craving, when there is oh, when there is a wanting something, to be curious, to have to have instead of, instead of wanting it to go away, have curiosity about that wanting, like oh, I really want that, oh. What is that like? What is that? Oh, notice, have curiosity about the wanting. What does it feel like to really want? Oh, oh, I feel, I feel the suffering in the wanting. Oh, they come together. The wanting is not so pleasant. You can see that when you have curiosity about it. You can be curious about body sensations, about the four elements that Philip uh, mentioned this morning in the guided meditation. You can be curious about the mind states. Be curious about your mind states. What is your mind state? What is your mind state right now, when you're sitting, as you're sitting and listening to this? Check it out. Curious, bored, interested, happy, sad, anything. Just check it out, curiosity. What is it? What? Question mark. And you can also investigate your thought patterns, especially the ones that are repetitive and you can have a question mark after them. Is it really so? Oh, really? Is that so? Huh? Be curious. Note that doubt sometimes, if it masquerades as investigation, The way you can tell the difference between doubt and Dhamma-Vichaya is pay attention to the energy. Dhamma-Vichaya investigation has, has a pretty straight, wise, clear, energetic feel, whereas doubt has, uh, uh, has kind of like a cold, empty, sad energy to it. So I'll leave it as an exercise. For the meditator. So the third one, very uh, energy, often uh, translated into energy but also translated as uh, persistence, persevering, vigor, vitality, effort, enthusiasm, diligence. So this can show up in different ways also. You can experience in one way that I feel into virya is sometimes it, it tastes like the translation vitality. Like it, it feels like the vitality in the mind and in the body. And it's fueled by interest and interest fuels it. And this energy in the mind see for yourself, feels like it, it's fueled by the energy of the body. So when you're tired, when you're hungry, um, when you're, if you're sick on the retreat, if the body is not feeling that vitality, that energy, then the mind doesn't have this energy, this vitality to really stay and pay attention. And when the body feels rested, energized, and vibrant, notice the mind can feel more vibrant and more energetic. And also, you can feel into it, say, just as you're sitting, feeling your energy. So as you're sitting, for a moment, close your eyes. And I'm going to give you a few questions. Does your energy feel smooth or jagged? And if the answers don't come up, that's fine. Just drop them in. Is your energy right now waxing or waning? Does it feel bright or does it feel dull? Does the energy feel calm or does the energy feel anxious? You can open your eyes now. So playing with energy, if you want to bring in some more energy into your practice, I'm going to teach you three simple tricks. And um, the first one, which is actually amazing and as has been reported by by various yogis and experienced by myself, is sometimes if you're feeling sleepy and there's not enough energy, just sit a little straighter, just that little bit can bring in more energy. It's pretty amazing. See it for yourself. Another one is softly opening the eyes with a gentle gaze to bring more energy in. And the other one it's very simple. is just to take a few deep breaths, bring in energy and of course walking meditation that brings in energy in terms of of the energy of the mind with the object again when there is interest the energy kind of flows on its own and there're ways that you can notice if the energy is waning and try to to bring more in by either bringing more interest or or S- sitting all straighter etc you also appreciate the translation of of, ener- of virya as effort gentle effort persistent persevering gentle effort and it's not just persistent effort for sitting but it's over days over months over years over decades gentle, persistent. Isa, the Japanese haiku poet from the 18th century writes, "O oh snail, climb Mount Fuji, but slowly, slowly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fourth factor, joy, pity, is the turning point, is when it start, the factors arise on their own. And they flow. And it's funny. It's interesting. Buddhism is usually not kind of known out there for for joy, but there's plenty of it. You know, we kind of we're known for suffering, um, suffering, uh, more suffering. But there's plenty of joy. And joy, pity, delight naturally a lot arise in meditation. They naturally arise, as you might have already experienced. And joy, in this case, is born out of the three factors. Engaging with the three factors of mindfulness, curiosity, and energy naturally will bring about joy. And it's not a joy of something happening outside, but it arises from the inside. Again, it's like when you are engaged in in a hobby that you love, sense of joy arises when you're making art, when you're dancing, uh, when you're making music. The joy arises naturally from that engagement of those factors. So again, noticing the presence and the absence, and let yourself be nourished by it. When there is joy present, it's okay to let yourself be nourished by it. It's wholesome to notice it when it's coming up internally. Mary Oliver, in her poem, Don't Hesitate, says, If you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate. Give into it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not very often kind, and much can never be redeemed. Still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back, that sometimes something happens better than all the riches or power in the world. It could be anything, but very likely you notice it in the instant when love begins. Anyway, that's often the case. Anyway, whatever it is, don't be afraid of. It's plenty. Joy is not made to be a crumb. So allow joy to be there when it's there and and nurture it. And yet, don't force it. Don't search for it. Don't make your practice a dukkha fest of looking for joy. I don't have any joy. That obviously is not wholesome. Be open to it. Be completely open to it. But don't force it. Invite it. And in practice... It arises on its own in terms of falling in love with the practice. This factor, piti, is also translated as rapture. And it can be experienced in practice when it builds up as as rapture, as energetic build-up and release. It's not hurtful, it doesn't hurt you, and it doesn't enlighten you either. It's just a passing sideshow. It it just arises and passes away. Don't confuse it with freedom. Don't confuse it with with the the real thing. Some some could be um, some rapture could be pleasant. Some could be unpleasant. Okay, let it arise. Let it pass away. It's all part of this natural mind-body process when we're on the cushion. Rapture could show up as um, minor rapture. Uh, there actually in the Abhidhamma, um, in the Visuddhimagga, there, there are um, five different types of rapture listed. There is minor rapture, like hair standing, uh, tears flowing. Um, there is uh, momentary or instantaneous rapture, which could be experienced as. Uh, there are so many different ways to experience these. If they happen to you, don't be scared. They come, they go. Kind of big deal. Um, flash or or slight shock of electricity. It could be felt like bugs crawling on your body or cobwebs or body can jerk. Um, showering joy or flow of joy is the third one, um, which could be experienced uh, kind of stronger in a stronger way than than. Um, and the previous ones, as if the body as 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 waves of of energy moving through the body, there's also uplifting joy that where the body feels kind of transported and light. if you levitate, let us know um, there is suffusing joy or all pervading joy which can really this rapture can radiate all over the body, and there's an ecstatic ecstatic feeling about it and actually this last one is one that is experienced in in um deep states of absorption known as jhanas so just wanted to share these so if if some energetic things happen to you if if um the body feels a little different the body can feel like a balloon small large hot cold um it not nothing to be scared about um just the, it just energetic changes they come and go they even out but please if they happen talk to us and uh, and we can uh, we can support you. The fifth one, tranquility, pasadi. So pasadi is often tran- translated as uh, tranquility, and it. Conjures up a calm, placid lake for me. Ah, spacious, still, tranquil. Of course, I know this word doesn't work for everyone because for some people it conjures up pharmaceuticals and tranquilizers. So feel free to substitute whatever works for you, whatever word works for you. Just use pasadi. Um, You can also use calm, repose, serenity. Um, whenever I use tranquility. So in Visuddhi Maga, in the path of puri- purification, um, there are two types of pasadi exist. One is kaya pasadi, the other chitta pasadi. Kaya pasadi is tranquility of the body, and chitta pasadi is tranquility of the mind. And they're related um, and Um, one way to interpret this practice is to recognize the factor of pasadi in your body and in your mind and see how one leads to another, how they inform one another. And it's interesting because in practice, Even if there is no say, pasadi in the mind, and just in the body. Um, actually, I'll give you an example. So, so here's another medical example. So this one, I think I remember sitting um, in the um, um, in in the for waiting for a bl- uh, for blood draw, um, and. There were a lot of tests that were ordered. There were like a dozen vials that had to be uh, filled. And I'm sitting there and, and the needle is in. It's my least favorite, besides the dentist office, is my other least favorite place to be. Um, and I noticed I was really anxious. I so wanted it to be over. And in that week, actually, during that time when this happened, um, I was teaching... Um, part of a seven month long, seven factors um, uh, course. And that week was the week for Pasadi, for Tranquility. So as, as I'm sitting there, kind of miserable, waiting for all of this to be over and all these vials to be filled and feeling the prick, uh, the, the, the um, kind of stinging, um, I thought, oh, Pasadi, oh, where is Tranquility? Um, and I realized, okay, my mind was not tranquil, but my body was, there was tranquility of the body because I was sitting, I was not moving. There was kind of a stability. So noticing the tranquility in the body, that stability, that, oh, look at that. Tuning into that with mindfulness, tuning into the tranquility of the body, the kaya pasadi, then chitta started to show up, to my surprise. Chitta then my mind started to feel tranquil, together with my body. And, and then there was this just peace and tranquility as if I was sitting by a placid lake and not on the chair um, at the blood draw. And it was actually it was pretty amazing. Um, I continued to be amazed by this practice. I continued to love and be amazed by this practice and the power of this practice. Heraclitus says, expect the unexpected or you won't find it. Maybe be open and curious and ponder upon tranquility when we least expect its arising. The sixth one is samadhi or concentration. And it feels very different from tranquility. Tranquility feels like this calm in the body and mind. And samadhi has this feeling of stability. The mind feels really stable, really stable, unmoving, clear, unified. And this, and I don't so much like the word concentration, even though I use it, because that's commonly used for translation of samadhi. I much prefer unification of the mind, because samadhi, the the word concentration, kind of conjures up concentrating, it it conjures up effort, like tightening your brow and like it's your responsibility to get concentrated and you should do it and and why are you not getting concentrated haven't you sat long enough um whereas it's not like that you can't get concentration The, the samadhi really happens when the the um conditions are put in place as it has been said before the conditions are put in place just like when you want to go to sleep right when you want to go to sleep at night you can't will yourself to sleep okay now okay now we're gonna go to sleep now 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 sleep yet no okay now that's like doesn't work right we know this right anyone not know this no but with concentration you kind of try it with sleep, okay, what do you do? You put the conditions in place. You go to bed when you're tired at a reasonable time. Um, you don't hopefully look at your computer right before going to bed, especially not on retreat. Um, you have a glass of milk, hot beverage, you you know, you just kinda like you put the right conditions in place, right? Yeah. Similar with with, with uh samadhi. You attend to the object, could be the breath. And the mind goes away, oh, gently you bring the puppy back, oh, come back. The, the puppy of the mind runs away, oh, gently you bring it back, you bring it gently back, you bring it back, you bring it back, and you just keep gently doing that. Finally, the puppy will settle down, will settle down and become stable, and the mind becomes stable. And the joy of samadhi is one of the most sublime joys. It's more satisfying than any worldly pleasure. The last one, the last factor, equanimity, upeka, upeka. Some of you are residing in upeka. Um, it's the last, and there's a reason why it's the last, because it's really the crown jewel of Buddhist practice, equanimity. It's at the end of the list because it's the the culmination of the other six factors. It could also be at the beginning because really equanimity, having some peace, stability, equanimity, can support the development of all the other factors. So in some ways it's a list, but it's also a circle. They all feed into one another. So equanimity... Evenness of mind, especially under stress, is what you'll find if you look under Merriam-Webster. And if you look in Wikipedia, you'll see our very own Gil Fransdell quoted. (laughs) Gil says, Equanimity is one of the most sublime emotions of Buddhist practice. It is the ground for wisdom and freedom and the protector of compassion and love. While some may think of equanimity as dry neutrality or cool aloofness, mature equanimity produces a radiance and warmth of being. The Buddha described a mind filled with equanimity as abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Isn't that beautiful? Just resting with those words of the Buddha, abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. Equanimity. Equipoise. Another word in our tradition for equanimity is majatata, which is a compound word made of simple Pali words, which basically means standing in the middle of all this. Standing in the middle of all this. And that image, I love that image, is that image of equanimity, just standing in the middle of all this. And with equanimity, it, it, it relates to emptiness and not self. It's, um, when less and less of our ego is at stake, when equanimity grows, we naturally become more and more unoffendable will become unoffendable. Walt Whitman puts it beautifully in his poem Leaves of Grass. I exist as I am, that is enough. If no other in the world be aware, I sit content. And if each and all be aware, I sit content. One world one world is aware, and by far the largest to me, and that is myself. And whether I come to my own today, or in 10,000, or 10 million years, I can cheerfully take it now, or with equal cheerfulness, I can wait. Equanimity. Equanimity. So i like to close with equanimity, with thoughts of equanimity, of all the seven factors and the culmination, and let's just sit together for a few minutes, for a few seconds. May I accept things as they are. May I be undisturbed by the comings and goings of things. May I be unoffendable. May I be at peace. Thank you for your kind attention. And just as Philip advised us last night, it's a good idea not to go straight to bed now and take some time to either sit or walk and just really let the words move you, be in you, the energetically. Let them settle. Um, Yeah, thank you.